I went to lunch with a guy who's new to our campus recently. We sat down and he, we were just kind of, you know, talking about chit-chat, different things. And he, he just looks at me, he goes, hey, pastor, can you tell me the vision for the church? And I was like, yeah, let's go. And he goes, I, I love this stuff, so like, let's dive into it. So I start telling them vision, where we're headed, even some things that we haven't talked about, where we're headed, and all the things. And I got done giving this whole speech, this ha, right? And he looked at me, he goes, man, just to be honest, I just want community. <laughs> He's like, I, I think what you're saying is awesome. I'm excited about it. But he goes, really, we just want a family. Like, we want a spiritual family. We want people who are going to invest in us, and we're going to invest in them, and we're going to live out our following and our calling with Christ. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, because this week's on community in so many ways, as we look at the fullness of God, okay? As I think about that, there's oftentimes two extremes. And so not this guy, but I, at every church I've ever been at on staff, I, I can have conversations like this. Somebody will come to me, they will be like, man, community is so important and I feel so disconnected. And I'm like, okay, tell me about it. And they'll go, well, I mean, you know, I, we don't really come very often. We're not a part of a small group. We don't serve. Like, we don't come to really anything extra. But, man, we're, we just feel really disconnected, right? And I'm going, okay. Like, you know, if, if you don't put in the time, if you, don't, if you aren't intentional, all those things, man, you're not going to feel connected, right? Like, th- that just makes sense. And then there's the other extreme. It's the person who comes and, man, says, I'm all in. I'm going to do everything, and they're pushing out, and they're saying, man, I'm going to make friends, we're going to have community, we're going to do all the things. And then it doesn't turn out the way they expected, but they're putting in all the effort. And you know what I have to say to them is oftentimes, and I've seen this in my my daughter's lives, I've seen this in my life, I've seen this at people's jobs. It's not just church, it's at schools, it's on sports teams, it's on so many different levels in our lives. Friendship and community What does it take? It takes trust. And it takes trust with God. Because sometimes you enter into a community, and I'm not necessarily talking about grace, I'm talking about any community. And you jump in and you expect it to just be instant. And God's saying, hey, listen, you're doing all the things, but are you you trusting me? Are you you coming to me? Are you you asking me? Are you going to rely on me? Are you just going to try and make it all work yourself? And so as we dive into community in the passage, as we talk about the fullness of God, here's what I want you to see. Community gives a better picture of the fullness of God. It really does. It does. It absolutely does. But it's going to require something of you. It's going to require intentionality and trust. Intentionality and trust. And so that's where we're headed as we dive through this prayer for our second week. And so let's jump in. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following. I'm going to read the whole prayer and then we're going to handle verses 17 and 18. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Do you see that familial Like we're a family, there's a community. As a matter of fact, all of Ephesians is talking about being one family between Jews and Gentiles, okay? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what we covered last week. That that according to the abundance of his riches, that that God is the God of great abundance, not our, our resources, but his he would grant us strength with power through his spirit in your inner being, in, in the inside of you, minds, body, and soul. 
Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So let's jump in. We're in verse 17. And it says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want to talk about the word dwell. Right before this, in Ephesians chapter 2, that word's used twice in the Greek. Okay? So I'm going to read it to you. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're a family. You're a part of the community of God. You've been connected to Christ, and that connects you to all the other believers. It's the picture. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The church built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Those are the leaders who brought this to be. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He's the centerpiece. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. There's that word. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. This this idea of a home, this, this taking up of residency for God by the Spirit. So here's the idea. Verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let me say it a different way that Christ would take up his home in your heart, in your life, in a greater way. That's the picture. There's two aspects to this dwelling, okay? The first one is nearness. It's this picture that Christ would be present, would be near in your heart. And the second part, the second aspect of this, is that he would reign and rule in your life. So what does that mean? It means that Christ would come into your life in such a way that he would be so close, so present, that what it would shape your life, that he would have rule and reign over your decisions, your imagination, all the things in your life, that he would take up his residency in you, right? It's not like a sprinkle, sprinkle of love. It's just not. It's this picture where Jesus sets up his home and he takes residency in your life, Okay. Let, 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 me, let me talk about it this way. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but we've got a lot of nurses and doctors at our church, okay? When they go to residency, it means they give up their life, right? Amen. I mean, it's, what is it, 80 to 100 hours? Some of you doctors would say it was even more than that, a week. It was just crazy. It was absolutely crazy. What's the picture? It literally takes over your life. It's this full, you're going to come and you're going to submit to everything. We're going to teach you. We're going to build into you. We're going to, everything's going to shape who you are during this time of residency. Christ wants to dwell in your life in such a way that he takes up residency in your life. He consumes all the areas. You know what that means? It means that there are huge paradigm shifts in the way that you live. As Christ gains presence and nearness and reign in your life, you know what happens? Everything changes. When I became a follower and Christ started to rule and reign in my life, I went from never reading a book in eighth grade all of a sudden to now I'm reading my Bible every night. It didn't make any sense. It was a miracle. 
It was crazy. I went from dating for approval and for selfishness to now actually care about the person. It was a paradigm shift for me. I went from doing drugs and hanging out and partying and and selling drugs to now I'm reaching out to those guys who I'm selling drugs to and saying, hey, do you want to know Jesus? This is at age 14. It was a paradigm shift. And it's a paradigm shift for you too. Many of you aren't middle schoolers in this room, right? But guess what? When Christ sets up his residency, his home in you, you know what happens? It shifts how you handle boredom in your life. It shifts how you handle failure in your life. It even shifts how you handle success in your life. Is the success coming from you or from him? And when you fail, is it going to end you? No. Why? Because there's more than enough in Christ for you. You are loved and accepted and redeemed and forgiven, and this failure does not define you. Whether it's a sin or a mistake or dropping the ball or whatever it is. There's paradigm shifts that happen when Jesus dwells in you. Even in tragedy, we see followers who are of Christ who Christ dwells in them at a greater and greater measure when tragedy hits. Why? Because they have hope. It doesn't mean they don't grieve. It doesn't mean they aren't sad. It doesn't mean that they aren't down and out for a while. But what it means is ultimately, fully and finally, they know that they have hope at the end. It's not over for them. It was a horrible thing. It was part of the sinful nature of this world, the brokenness of this world. Some other things changed. Think about this. Many of you husbands, man, can resonate with this. You never admitted that you were wrong, but now that Christ dwells in your heart, you admit, man, I'm wrong, babe. Like, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Sweetheart, your little children. No longer is it, man, it was all them. No, no, no. You know what? I didn't lead you well. I didn't take care of you. I didn't cast a vision for your life. I haven't been present. Of course you're responding this way. Well, yeah, you're angry because you saw me angry every day of your life. I confess. I'm broken too and I need Jesus and so do you. It's a whole different paradigm shift. We admit that we are fallen and broken. We confess sin. Man, when my my kids, when we get into an argument, sometimes I'm the culprit, right? Right? It's not them. It's me. And I'm the one that needs to get on my knees and say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. You know what I'm talking about? We confess sin in our lives with other people. We don't have secrets anymore. Have you ever thought about that? As followers of Christ, we don't have secrets. You have a personal life. You don't share everything with everybody. But you don't hide stuff. Why? Because Christ has taken up residency in your heart, in your life, and it penetrates all the areas. There's no more secrets in Christ. And we don't have to hide because Jesus is more than enough. His love and his mercy is enough. You prioritize things differently as a family. You do. When Christ takes up residency in your heart, you do things differently. You do. Let's keep going. So that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So we're going to talk about those two words. There's this agricultural, botanical word, right? Rooted. It has this echo of Isaiah 40, 24. I don't have that one for you, but I've got one in the New Testament. It's Matthew chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. It's about the parable of the sower. 
just walk through this with my daughters and Luke, okay? The sower, there's there's seed and it's being sowed in four different ways. And Jesus is giving this parable about what kind of seed or or what kind of soil you want to be, okay? And and so here's one example of those. It says in verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, okay, they withered away. Then Jesus explains the parable to the disciples a little later. And so I'm going to go to this, this particular one again. This is verse 20. As he's explaining, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the person or the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, so much excitement. Man, this is going to be awesome. God's so good. I'm getting baptized. I become a believer. I'm so excited about the things of Jesus. Right? Y'all know that picture? Verse 21. Yet he or she has no root in him or herself. So they endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arise or trouble or hardship or damage in their life on account of the word, immediately he or she falls away. How many of you know or are the person who got really excited about Jesus and then stuff happened and now Jesus really isn't the primary anymore and really there was no root? And think about that. That's the picture here. It's, it's someone who's, man, Christ is dwelling, has taken up his home, his residency in all the areas of his life. And it's this person, man, Paul is praying that they would be rooted, that they would have a root, that it wouldn't be taken away, that it wouldn't be this shallow relationship of joy and excitement about God and, and all the feels and the emotions. And then they just walk away. And then they just leave. And then he uses this word grounded. It's this construction term for a strong foundation. Jesus uses the same idea in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. And I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to summarize it. He talks about a foolish man who built his house on sand. None of y'all would do that, I hope. But the wise man's house has its foundation on the rock. Both of these metaphors, they're simple. They're pointing to a strong and deep relationship and an even greater experience of what God's love in this passage. That's the picture. It's a picture of a person who continually, don't miss this, who continually takes their next step towards Christ. We're all about believers taking their next step towards Christ. Or maybe somebody who doesn't know Jesus take their first step towards Christ, right? But it's the person who doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to take a step and then I'm going to do my own thing. No, no, no. They're going to continue to step and step and step towards Jesus. That's the picture here. They're rooted. They're grounded in that. It's like a gym. Like I, I'm, I'm currently, my, my, I'm, I'm changing gyms and, you know, they have, they have at gyms, for instance, they have a one-day trial, a week trial, a six-week trial, Right? And you can come and check it out. You can come be a part. You can come do all the things. But here's the thing. If you just go and check it out for a day or a week or six weeks or whatever it is, and you don't actually join, and you don't actually let it become a part of your routine, you're not grounded. 
You're just checking it out. You're happy about it, and then you don't do anything about it. It's the picture of a believer's life. He's saying it's not just, hey, I'm going to try this out. I got my toe in, and now I'm not going to do it. That's not the picture that you would be deep in your relationship with God. It's a picture who continually takes their next step towards Christ, right? So there's an intentionality. There's a focus. So I want to ask you just a practical question. When is the last time that you and your family took a next step? Not a first step, not a step months ago, not a step years ago. When's the last time y'all took your next step towards Christ? And what does that mean for you? Just think about that. It's continual. It doesn't stop. Let's keep going. Verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend, or I put the word grasp in there. Because that's the idea, that we may grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. So here's the picture. When Christ takes up residency in your heart, you have deep roots and are grounded experientially in the love of God. You have strength. And what does this strength do? It allows you to come alongside community. It allows you with all the saints to see and know the height, the breadth, the length, the length and the depth of the love of God. That's the picture here. It's this strength. Let me, let me just paint it for you, okay? When it comes to community, how people treat you and how you treat others, it shapes your view of God. It does. Now, you don't have to believe it or agree with it or stay there, but it does shape you on some level. Many of you know this, okay? So here's the picture. He's praying that you would have enough strength to work through difficulty, to work through forgiveness, to work through pain, and that as you receive love from others and as you are of one mind, unified, being strong in the faith together, guess what? you begin more and more to see the height and the depth and the length and the width of the love of God. I know you've been there. I know you've been a part of relationships like that where you're like, man, this is changing who I am. I mean, how many of you have veered off the path and somebody's come and spoken into your life, right? They've said, hey, hey, what are you doing? Like, no, 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 come on back, man. Like, I wanna pray with you. I wanna, I wanna spend time with you. I wanna walk through this with you. Or maybe you've been that to another person and you see the depth of God's love in your life because, man, God's showing up in other people's lives to you. That's, that's the picture here. But I, I want to say it on the flip side. There's a part of the Christian life that can't happen apart from the church. I'm going to say that again. There's a part of the Christian life that can't happen apart from the church. This growth cannot happen without other people. That's part of the equation. That we would comprehend, that we would grasp with all the saints. I mean, you, you've heard in business models often, and you've heard pastors say this too, I probably said it. You are the average of the five closest people to you. Some of you sports coaches, man, y'all say that. It matters who you hang out with. It matters who you spend time with. And you know what, from a business model, you, you're going, okay, I want to be with the successful. I want to be with those who are ahead. I want to be with, and so you start shaping your life around those people. And then you try to get ahead in your career. It's, it's a simple model. Let me, let me just offer this to you. Who are the five closest people to you and where are they spiritually? Let's put your job aside for a second. 
And let's just put away your, your, your favorite family model for a second. Spiritually, who are the five closest people to you? Because here's the reality. I'm going to put a challenge out here for you. If the five closest people to you in your life are fans and not followers of Christ, you know what that does? It shapes you. It shapes you. Think about it. If they're a fan, they, man, they may feel guilty one week or a couple of weeks out of a month or maybe a couple of weeks out of a year about, man, I haven't been to church in a while or I've done something bad in my life. I better show up to church. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there this week because I feel guilty. Or maybe it was, man, it was convenient, so I'll go to church this Sunday. None of you guys, y'all are here on a Labor Day week. I mean, on a holiday weekend. But, like, you see the picture? If they're fans and they don't really pray and they aren't in the Word and those are your best friends and they're the ones who are speaking in your life, they're the ones whose hobbies, imaginations, culturing, everything in your life, if that's your five friends, closest friends, it's going to shape you. And your community is going to be different. So, I mean, I'm challenging you here to think about that. Where are your dreams and your affections and all the things and how are they being shaped by the five closest people in your life? As a matter of fact, I had a friend, he's pretty close to me. He was talking about his wife and he said, over the last three years, my wife hung out with a lot of women and they went out to bars and they, they had fun and it was good and not that bars are bad. I'm just saying that's, that's the culture that she was in. And you know what she said? She said, but none of them had a relationship with Jesus. I had a ton of fun. It was great. They were there for me. But I had no connection with Jesus with them. They weren't spurring me on to love and good deeds. They, they were just friends. And so she said, I've changed and I've shifted a lot. And now the five closest people to me, man, they're all believers. And I've grown so much and I see so much that I didn't see and I didn't know. It's that community. It's that intentionality. It's that trust, Right? So if your best friends are not Christians, man, there seriously could be a problem in your life. You might be missing out on so much. I'll say it another way. You will not be able to comprehend the height, the depth, the width of the love of God. You're going to miss a lot. There's this community aspect. But I want to address some people in the room today. This, this message is going to a very specific amount of people in this room. And it may not be all of you. But my guess is... It's many of you. And it's those who have been hurt by the church. And maybe it's not this church, or maybe it is this church, but maybe it was your last church or your church before that. You're still holding the wounds and the the scars and the pain and all the things in your life. I just just want to talk to you for a minute. Man, that is a real thing. I've been to churches on staff at many churches. Some of them were a huge blessing. They were an honor to be a part of. The people were great. It was awesome. And I left and it was wonderful. And then there's other churches, specifically one for me. I got, I got mishandled. I got all kinds of hurt and pain and brokenness. And it has shaped my view of God on some level, right? Some of y'all can feel that. Like it's, it's marred your vision. And sometimes you go back to that old way of thinking and you go, man, that hurts so bad. God, how could you do that through your church? Many of you are in that space today. And I just want to come to you and I want to offer up to you that Jesus is enough. And maybe your response is, no, 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 Clint, I tried. I gave it a shot. I'm done. I'm out. 
I can't do this. And I want to remind you to last week. Last week says, out of the abundance of his riches, not your own, not your own resources, not your own strength, not your own power. He's praying a prayer that you would have power and strength and all the things to grasp what the love of God in the midst of your pain, in the midst of a pastor, in the midst of a, a, a family member or a coworker or whoever it is that hurts you, that burns you that he has enough power and strength to get you through it and that you need the community to do it. So I'm asking you not to walk away from the church. I'm asking you not to walk away from God because of sin in somebody's life, whether it was a leader or just another person. So I want to challenge you with that. I want you to consider that. And listen, I want you to hear this. Hurt is usually the driving force behind visible anger and bitterness. We get loud and it distracts us and others from all the pain and the hurt inside. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. Matter of fact, we were talking through with one of our daughters recently. She came in and she had to do something she didn't want to do. Okay? She was flaming mad. She was in the red. And, like, and when we got home, you know, we're expecting it to kind of calm down. It didn't. She just kept going. I'm mad. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I can't get past this, right? And when we would sit down and try to talk to her, she's like, I mean, we're like trying to get emotions like, hey, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Why are you so mad? She's like, I'm just mad. I'm angry. Don't, don't, don't ask me why. I'm just mad, right? And so we're like, was it fear? You know, and she's like, if you don't leave me alone, like we're, we're going to go, you know? And, and so what we're trying to do, what are we trying to do? We're trying to coach her to see that anger isn't the primary emotion. It's not. There's hurt, there's fear, there's pain, there's all these things behind it. And if we can get to that, we're gonna get through this. And we did with her, right? And we're, we're trying to cultivate that in her now. I would say the same thing to you. Maybe you're not visibly angry, but inside you are closed up, hardened, bitter, and angry. And I'm gonna suggest to you that, that Christ taking residency in your, in your heart and in your mind, and you being rooted and grounded in love, and you coming alongside community of people speaking in and helping and praying with and going around the Bible, that you know what? It'll change you. It'll change you, and it'll enable you to see the love of God in a way that you never saw before.